0: everybody, and welcome to Classical Stuff You Should Know. We are a podcast that aims to bring the classical world to you in as painless a way as possible. So we talk about old philosophies, old books, old things, and uh, try to make it fun. And my name is A.J. Hannenberg, and I'm here with my compatriots, Graham Donaldson. Hi. And Thomas Fletcher Magby. Hello. And today, we get to talk about a famous instance in England when a fellow named Henry got a little too drunk on a fifth of vodka and... Uh, And he wandered home through someone else's garden Hmm. and trampled all over their plants. That's unfortunate. So the next day, that uh, man who happened to be a Frenchman got some gasoline out of his car and poured it all over Henry V's garden and then lit it on fire, burning all of his plants. And thus began the War of the Roses, which would continue a prank war between these two guys for a couple of years. For years and years. And it
1: became enmeshed in history forever. Yeah. That's
0: right. Yep. I'm excited to hear Uh, about uh, Henry V and his hijinks. Uh,
1: We have... So... Uh, years ago. <laughs> so all of that's wrong, by the way. None of that's true. Years ago, what? we started a series on Classical Stuff You Should Know about the history of the Plantagenet Kings, um, starting from, basically, Henry the First, all the way up to, I don't remember where we stopped. We stopped with uh, the deposition, dep- deposition, sorry, the uh, disposing of Richard II. <laughs> deposition, deposition of Richard the yeah, II. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, <laughs> Can you imagine? We, it's pretty tough. Sitting through dep- that? Yeah. <laughs> No, where we got uh, Richard II, where he was thrown out and then replaced by a different king. That's where we sort of ended.
0: Is is Henry V that very last king? No. Okay.
1: We didn't get to Henry V. We We haven't got to. I think his name was mentioned at the very very end. It it probably was. Yes, Uh, Henry V. Yeah. So, uh, um, because it's probably you know it's been a while since you guys heard the story. I'm just going to back up a little bit and like. To start this story, we the story. This is a tragedy. So the, the story that we're going to be telling is probably the roughest period in English history. Eh, maybe
0: you, the Civil isn't, War is isn't probably this bad. period you're talking about? Like a huge long chunk of history? Um, How many hundreds of years
1: is not it? not a long? Hun- no, it's it's three generations. Um, no, the people there are people at the beginning of this story. Um, Wait, are we
0: talking War of the Roses or the Plantagenets? War of the Roses? We're talking War of the Roses. Oh, I thought you meant
1: the Plantagenets. No, no, the Plantagenets like, is that most of, the years. of them? <laughs> right. But we're talking about the War of the Roses, which is you know sort of uh, it's like thirty years. The thirty year, this huge chunk of history. It begins with Richard II and ends with Richard III, and the beginning of a new house, the House of Tudor, and that House of Tudor is is where we get uh, the famous uh, Tudor King Henry Eighth, right? Um, leading up, and then his daughter Elizabeth I, and then that's the era of Shakespeare. So, um, to tell this story, we are uh, since it is a giant tragedy, we are going to start at the beginning, which is uh, going to be sort of happy times, and that is the reign of Edward III. We so we covered this in a podcast, so we're not going to talk about the reign of Edward III. Suffice quick to review. say, yeah, quick a quick review is that Edward III was a strong and good king. Um, and people loved him, and he had a long rule. He's not one of the Shanks, isn't that another long shanks? That was Edward. That was Edward the Second. Second, yeah, yes. So Edward the Third had a long rule, and he had many sons who were all able, quality men who rose to positions of great authority. So he had a large family, and this is going to end up becoming the seeds of the problem down the line for the War of the Roses. So if you remember. Edward III had a son that was known as the Black Prince because he wore like awesome black armor and he was this great warrior. You listen to death metal? And everyone mm-hmm. probably everyone was super jazzed that the Black Prince was one day going to be king and because he was amazing and then you know as he was a young man, he had a young family, a little a little baby. And then he was fighting a war in Portugal against Pedro, <laughs> King Pedro the Fourth, I think it was. I don't know if it was the Fourth, but it was King Pedro, which is a hilarious had, name.
0: Was he the cruel? Pedro
1: There's the a- cruel? I I, I don't quote. We have to go back and listen to it. I had all the notes then. I um I can't remember which Pedro it was, but he dies. Yeah. Henry uh, the, the Black okay. Prince dies early and has this wonderful uh, speech, which we read that uh, about like sort of. Um, the, the, the wheel of fortune and how you can be in the sun one day and then everything is taken from you and, and then you're a skeleton. And then his little baby became king. It isn't a baby, was a little, little kid. Became king. And that was Richard II. And if you remember in that story, Richard II grew up with, as a young man, a young king, a revolt of the peasants who were super down on the aristocracy. They loved the king, but they didn't like the aristocracy. And they blew up uh, uh, the aristocracy's house uh, uh, John of Gaunt. They blew up his house. Um, and anyway, I'm recapping everything, but Richard II was a king who uh, basically stopped that revolt using his majesty. You remember this, AJ? He came towards everybody and he was like, you guys should stop because I'm king. And all the peasants were like, yeah, that's kind of awesome. And they all put down their arms and, and stopped. You want to hear about that? You can, go black, you can go listen to the old Plantagenet number six or whatever it was uh, of the life of Richard II. Um, but, um, um, his uncle, so, uh, um, was, he had, he had a number of uncles who were the strong, the strong, um, uh, men of, you know, his father. And then, so Edward III had a bunch of kids. His dad was one of them. And he had all these uncles who were these also these, these able-bodied, strong men. Two of them are going to be principal players in setting up the houses for the War of the Roses. One was John of Gaunt. And he is often associated uh, as the beginning of the House of Lancaster. And then he also had Edmund of Langley, uh, who is also his uncle, who is going to be the head of the House of York. And that comes – and um, so John of Gaunt should have been – okay, this this is where it gets a little bit iffy. When the Black Prince died, he had a kid, which was Richard II, who became king. But there was precedent that John of Gaunt should have been king because he was like – you know, in his 30s, and he was uh, able-bodied, and he was like, you know, smart and capable, and uh, noble, and and in fields of battle, he, he set himself apart. And people were like, ah, we kind of were robbed of this awesome kingdom from the Black Prince. Maybe John of Gaunt should be king. But... The law or the custom was that this, like, seven-year-old becomes king. And so they're like, all right, well, we'll just make sure that he— de- we'll just surround him with really great people, and hopefully he becomes as good a king as his dad was promised to be. Are we, are we tracking so far?
0: Yep. Yeah, I think so. Do, do we ever have precedent where a seven-year-old king is just like, I decree I shall never be required to take a bath again? Like, do you have that kind of stuff? Um, well, he has a regent, so he's not technically allowed to
1: totally rule until okay. he until he becomes a man. And even then— that is a questionable uh, – uh, that's not like when you turn 18. It was when everyone sort of said like, yeah, you're pretty good at this. Richard II was not considered to have been a man until he was like well into his 30s, <laughs> uh, which is pretty – probably vexing for Richard II. Sure. Um, so but you, anyway. You,
0: is there like a committee? The, the like are you a man committee? Yeah.
1: It's, it's the regents. It's like these, these, these dudes that sit around. They're like, oh, he's kind of crappy. He probably shouldn't be king yet anyway, and it can have... That yeah. seems like a
0: good program, actually. You don't want a guy getting get to be you king when he's still a duped shit. Especially a troop, stinky kid. Right? Living in his parents' basement.
1: Um, so John of Gaunt doesn't become king. John of Gaunt seems to be fine with it. Um, but, uh, you know, uh, he is a noble lord and, yeah, cool. Um, th- Richard II was not a very smart person. Richard II, and you can go back and listen to the episode before, ended... That rebellion by appealing to his majesty, and since that worked, he thought that appealing to his majesty could sort of solve every problem in his reign. So uh, uh, he was he a was kind of king that just to establish his authority at the end of dinner parties, he would sit on a chair and just like intently stare at people until they, they bowed to him. And he would do this for hours. Um, I was wondering,
0: Graham and Amanda and uh, my wife and I, we all have dinner together every yes. week. I've been wondering why you've That's why I do that. that. that until a lot more until
1: you, your head bows
0: and until you nod It was made nod us really uncomfortable, but deference. now that I know that that's yeah. the reason you're doing that's
1: it. That's why we do it. Thank you. Yeah. So, Richard II, not a very great king. Um, and uh, um, he eventually um, arbitrarily kicked out uh, people from the country because they were they were strong noble lords. and um, uh, And they were... Uh, um, sort of whispers that maybe Richard II shouldn't be king. It should maybe go to John of Gaunt. Well, he's not going to be king because he had died at this point. Maybe he should go to John of Gaunt's son, named Henry Bolingbroke. Um, Henry Bolingbroke had this dispute with this other local lord, and they got into a fight, uh, and they were going to have a duel to the death, and they got all psyched up. Um, And so Henry Bolingbroke, from the House of Lancaster um you know had his glorious tent all set up and they were going to have this fight to the death to restore his honor and then king richard ii was like stop instead of a fight to the death you're all banished and he banished henry bolingbroke and i think it was the duke of mowbray out of um out of england and it was pretty arbitrary and everyone was super upset because it's like listen they wanted to fight to restore their honor and richard ii's like "Man, i don't care um, but at this point, aren't duels kind of pretty standard practice? Duels are pretty standard practice, and this yeah. these were this was a big deal. Someone was going to die, and the winner was going to you know basically clear his name, and the king stopped it. All right, Henry Bolingbroke leaves England. Uh, Duke of Mowbray leaves England too. I can't remember what happened to him. He doesn't really feature in the story. Henry Bolingbroke leaves, um, and then he uh, um, when his father dies, he is in exile. And Richard II goes and says, hey, John of Gaunt, uh, when John of Gaunt was dying, he's like, um, John of Gaunt, I'm going to take all your property. I'm not going to give it to your kid. Ha ha. And John of Gaunt said, I hate you. You suck. Um, if you want to read about this, uh, the, the, uh, Richard II has this great scene where John of Gaunt is confronted. Richard II confronts John of Gaunt. And there's this wonderful scene where Patrick Stewart, uh, that's how I think of John of Gaunt. Right, Are you think, talking about Shakespeare? Yeah. yeah. Uh, there, uh, um, there's an Amazon series called The Hollow Crown. Uh, where John of Gaunt is played by Captain Picard, and that's all I can see in my mind. But anyway, he has this great speech about England, about how you are turning it over to, uh, you're like a renter, and you're just like sucking the life out of this this nation, and King Richard's like, you're old and dying, and I don't care. Um, Richard II takes the land. Henry Bolingbroke is ticked. Henry Bolingbroke comes home with an army to get his land back, and everyone's like, oh yeah, he should be king. And Bolingbroke's like, no, 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 no. I don't want to be king. I just want what's mine back. I everyone's just want like, my land back. and everyone's like, oh, that's what a king would say. Mm. And he's like, no, I don't, I don't really want to be king. Um, and um, but he sort of is like, but I'm going to march my army right. to the king's palace and demand for what's mine back. Uh, eventually, uh, sort of. Um, um, Popular sentiment rode behind Henry. There was some kind of claim to the crown because John of Gaunt was the brother of the of the dead Prince uh, 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 Black Prince, who could have been king. So people were like, "Oh man, Henry's like." Oh, John of Gaunt was the brother of the Black Prince. That's right. Okay, yeah. So he's like, "Oh man, uh, Henry." So Henry and Richard are, are, are cousins. Right. Everyone's like, oh, well, Henry. He kind of like looks like a king. He's kind of like awesome. He rides a horse really well. And Richard II is kind of like milk toast." and limp-wristed and, like, pouty and always as appealing to his authority. And people just didn't really like him. And so it came to a head, and we talked more about the the politics behind it, um, with uh, Henry Bolingbroke, um, with the aid of Parliament and all these other uh, nobles, securing the crown from Richard II. Richard II abdicated and freely gave the crown, I put in air quotes, freely gave the crown to Henry Bolingbroke. Legend has it that in the great meeting where this happened, um, uh, Richard II talked about the heavy weight of the crown and when – Henry, uh, uh, sorry, Richard II talked about the heavy weight of the crown. When Henry said, are you going to give me the crown, uh, Richard said, yes, here it is and threw it at his feet. Um, um, and then that scene is immortalized also in Richard II. It is a wonderful scene. Um, and you should, if you are interested in Shakespeare or in the or in the, this period of history, you should go watch that Hollow Crown version of it. Richard II is played by, oh, who's the actor? The guy who plays Q in all the new Bond movies. Um, um, Winsworth, Wentworth? No. Um, you guys can Google it.
0: What's his name? Wait, say again, which character? Uh,
1: Richard II in The Hollow Crown. Ben Wishaw. Yeah, Ben Wishaw Whitshaw. He's great. He's an awesome uh, um, uh, Richard II, and then the guy who plays Henry Bolingbroke, I only know I, I only know him from a role he played in uh, Black Mirror. So whatever. Rory matter. Kinnear. Yeah, yeah. I don't know how to you know. say that. Anyway, Richard II gives a throne to Henry Bolingbroke. And Henry Bolingbroke becomes Henry IV. Okay, this is where our War of the Roses story is going to start and where our earlier Plantagenet story ended. So I apologize that if you've just finished Plantagenet 6 and you're jumping to this one, you're like, yeah, I know that already. Well, it's been like two years since we've talked about
0: this. So I don't think there's anyone saying that. Oh, okay. It's just been so long <laughs> <laughs> as saying. I'm, gotcha. not, I'm not trying to be insulting.
1: Right, just- so now we have Henry <laughs> Bolingbroke, who has become Henry the Fourth. Oops, knock the mic. Henry IV was, I kind of think of him as he was a bit of a bro. He was like good at war. He didn't really like all this like number stuff and this like governing stuff. I just want my lands back. He just wanted his lands back and he just wanted respect and honor. And he didn't, and he also kind of didn't really want to be king. Why are you um, fronting, bro? <laughs> um, and this is how uh, Winston Churchill describes Henry Bolingbroke in his, in, in volume one of uh, History of the English speaking people. Um, so this is, this is how, uh, so Henry, he's now known as Henry IV. So this is how Henry IV, the king who took the crown from Richard II, Henry IV from the House of Lancaster, this is how Churchill describes him. In the hour of his ascension, he was still the bold knight, surprisingly moderate in success, avarice from bloodshed, affianced to growing constitutional ideas, and always dreaming of ending his life as a crusader. But the sullen, turbulent march of events frustrated his tolerant inclinations and eventually, eventually, sorry, eventually soured his generous nature. Um, uh, So he came to the throne. He was good natured. He didn't like violence, but he was willing to throw down if he had to. Um, And he... uh, um, and it, and he kind of just wanted everything just to, to settle down. Richard II was such a turbulent, such an emotional, such a petulant child of a ruler that all Henry IV wanted to do was just kind of just kind of have things chill, just like have things kind of get back to normal. People can raise their families, do their jobs. We can fight the Welsh if we need to. Like let's just let's just not have things be crazy. And immediately, so Parliament, when they saw this, realized, hey, you know what? Um, he's probably open to giving us a little more power and us taking a little bit off his plate. So Parliament came to Henry IV and they're like, "Hey, how would you feel about uh, limiting your kingship? You can have you can fight wars um, and you can do all the like king stuff, but we can t- deal with like laws and taxes." And Henry IV is like, "That's a great idea." He's like, "Do you guys want to take care of all the money? Because I don't really want to have to think about that." And Parliament was like. We reluctantly accept. <laughs> yes, we will take care of all the money. Um, and so he gave them more parliamentary power and they had more sort of authority over the purse. And he's like, you guys will totally give me everything I need during a war, right? And they're like, oh, yes.
0: I feel like this is <laughs> this is what happened with like Nicolas Cage and his tax advisor. <laughs> exactly. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I don't really want to think about the money. And these guys are like, i I will think about it. it for you. Yeah. Right. I have your best interest at heart.
1: Now, I don't want to disparage Parliament. Um, or Nicholas Cage. Or Nicolas, Cage, Nicolas, Nicolas Cage, Cage, for that matter. If you're listening, um, And definitely in the history that. of the English-speaking people, um, Churchill really, uh, part of an axe he's grinding in the whole series is the birth of, of Parliament, which is kind of a fascinating thread that goes through his entire work. But anyway, Henry the Fourth sort of limits
0: his kingship. and, uh, and Is it in, per- in perpetuity? Well, I'll... I'll following kings also have limited leadership? Yeah,
1: I mean, it's a sl- these slow glacial moves, but um, but basically Parliament really wanted to hedge against what all the crap that happened with Richard II. Yeah. Richard II really tried to do the, God made me your better, and everything I say should be law, which is where France sort of went with the whole Louis XIV thing. Well, this was England's version of that, and all the noble lords were like, mm, I don't like the sound of that because... Um, some
0: of the stuff he says, um, is, stuff he says is
1: crazy. <laughs> and so if we can kind of limit the authority of the, power, uh, of the power, if we can have some sort of balance of power, well, this is going to be better for everybody. And Henry IV was like, yeah, fine. Have more power. Just, that's cool. All right. Um, so, and so much so that one of the nobles uh, was so happy. Actually, it was the archbishop when, um, uh, when Henry IV came into the power. He said, this honorable realm of England, the most abundant angle of riches in the whole world, has been reduced to destruction by the councils of children and widows, referring to Richard II. Richard II apparently had, like, very bad counselors, according to the archbishop. Now God has sent a man knowing and discreet for governance, who by the aid of God will be governed and counseled by the wise and ancient of his realm. So in other words, he's going to listen to all the smart people in parliament, and he's, that's how he's going to govern. This is things are looking up, boys, for England, now that Henry IV is in charge. Cool. Um Henry I'm waiting the, for the gotcha.
0: Yeah. This guy sounds great. No gotcha. right. Henry IV is great. Oh,
1: um, no. The gotcha is that he wanted everything to be kind of chill. He just wanted things to kind of go back to normal. Um, but he did overthrow basically the kingdom. There were still people, or Richard II, for whatever reason, was insanely popular with like the peasants, not insanely popular with the nobles. Remember, the peasants were the ones that. That tried to overthrow the nobles, and when Richard said, "No, my children, stop," they were like, "Oh, king, okay," and they stopped. Right. Um, and so Richard II was considered; he was still alive, he was in jail somewhere. And he was; everyone, people were like, "This is wrong. You shouldn't do this." Um, so um, Henry IV and his entire court were promptly poisoned um, and almost died. Wow. And everyone was, and so they were all having dinner one day, and the next day they all got super sick, right? And they thought he was going to die. And uh, everyone was trying to look around for who did this. To this day, we don't really know who tried to poison Henry IV and his entire court. Sounds like undercooked shellfish to me. It could mm. have been, but the Brits, uh, but the, sorry, the, the the monarchy decided to blame the Welsh. Um, so they figured <laughs> the Welsh did it. No, I knew yep. it. Now, the Welsh were <laughs> backers of Richard II, right. not because they loved Richard II, but because they loved instability in England. So if you back the guy that just got ousted, you know, you can kind of stir up some trouble. And so Henry IV, who is first and foremost a soldier, when he recovered, he's like, we got to throw down with the Welsh. This is what we got to do. Um, so um, uh, and meanwhile, one of the, the Welsh noblemen who was sort of the leader of the rebellion against Henry IV was, uh, uh, was a man by the name of Owen Glendower. And he was sort of a very interesting figure, which we don't have time to get into, and um, so Henry IV got his armies, and they went, and they started to beat up the Welsh. Like this, you, you poison the king, and you're for Richard II, and they have this sort of border wars and skirmishes and all this kind of stuff.
0: I wonder if they had conspiracy theorists back then like we have today, and they're oh, like, yes. oh,
1: the poisoning was an inside job. Oh, they yeah. just wanted an excuse to go kill the Welsh. I'm sure there was. Yes, I'm sure there was. That stuff happened all the time. Um, that poisoning happened back in Poisoning, and just people not knowing who did what, and like false flags and like, oh, I want to start this war against the Welsh, so maybe we'll poison the king and blame it on the Welsh. And oh, I found a document. All that that stuff did happen. Cool. Okay, then Richard II <laughs> died. Is awesome. Richard, Richard II then died in, in captivity. He died in prison, and it's unclear whether he was starved to death, whether he starved himself to death, or whether, like Shakespeare said, he was shot with a crossbow. We don't know. How
0: do you, <laughs> he's, he's got a crossbow bolt in his that's chest. True. It looks like he's starved. Yeah. <laughs> like, he, ate,
1: he ate a crossbow. Right.
0: Um, <laughs> no, they how don't do you know if he was thing? killed. They don't know if he was killed. Um, for, Again, I feel like that's an easy, easy one to figure out. Well, like, but the, How bad were the corners yeah. back then that they couldn't tell? Well, I think it was that they,
1: Shakespeare has him shot with a crossbow. I think in, in actuality, he he died from malnutrition and they don't know if he like went on hunger strike or if they just like forgot about him. Or if forgot it was that Same him, undercooked
0: shellfish or the
1: same shellfish. Sure. Um, there was also a rumor that apparently may have had some credibility that Richard II escaped and was like living in captivity. Uh, but he never shows up again in the story. So who knows what happened to him? Maybe he's still out still there. Still alive. He's yep. still out there. Definitely. He's on, like, anyway, haunt. Elvis and Tupac. He's, like, the- haunting the Veritas campus. All right. <laughs> so Richard II is dead, and um, he doesn't really get an honorable burial uh, uh, because because they're, they're having this war with the Welsh, and they were for Richard. And so he's, like, not an enemy combatant, but he's, like, you know, the guy we're fighting, kind of, even though he's in jail. So he doesn't really get a great burial. He's just sort of, like, put in the ground. It's like, all right, see you, Richard. He was king of England, but now he's just kind of, like, in a ditch. That's going to be important later. Um, and like 50% of the peasantry thought he was alive somewhere and were writing blogs about like where they saw him, mm-hmm. you know, on vacation and stuff. So, um, so uh, but Richard's dead or at least he's out of the story. Uh, the Welsh wars continued till about 1404 and then um, the Scots who saw that England was, was fighting with the Welsh were like, you know what we're going to do? We're going to fight the English too. So the Scots got all their armies together and they started to fight uh, the English in the north. And so, um, do they have a
0: reason, or were they just like, "This looks like a party"? This looks like
1: a party. This is time. You know, their 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 focus is elsewhere. We can probably like get some lands back. We can steal some things. Uh, we can I don't know like push our culture with our skirts and our haggis and our border collies. Mm-hmm. And um, and so the king really leaned on an earl uh, named uh, f- uh, of Northumberland to fight the Scots up north. Earl of Northumberland was one of the dudes that helped Henry IV become king. He was one of the guys that marched with him to take the crown. So they were their friends. Uh, Earl of Northumberland also has a son who marched with Henry, uh, who is named Henry Hotspur. Okay. So also inconveniently named Henry. So we'll refer to him as Hotspur. The reason he was called Hotspur was because he was fighting the Scots and the Scots said, man, that guy can move real fast. Uh, and he can like marshal his armies and he, he can spur really quickly and he can get from one side of the battlefield to the other. So they called him Hotspur. So
0: Henry Hotspur is fighting. That was conveyed upon him by his enemies. Yes. Oh, that was pretty awesome. So cool.
1: And Henry Hotspur is cool. He is like, um, he's,
0: he's definitely this like bad boy of history. He's this noble warrior. He's got a super fiery temper. But to me, give a, giving a flattery, a flattering nickname by your enemies. Yeah. Like if they called you like Donaldson Big Arms, I know. Or yeah, something. that would be great. If my enemies just, called me Big Arms, yeah, I was like, sweet. Yeah.
1: So is. Henry Hotspur is up north fighting the Scots. Um, Henry IV goes between fighting the Welsh and fighting the Scots. And um, but man, like Henry, the, the 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 weight of the crown really does weigh on Henry. He does not want to be fighting all these wars, dealing with all of these problems. He he was willing to be king. He maybe felt that he should have been king. He was probably on the, like, my dad should have been king when the black prince died and I should be king. But he was getting worn out. Um, Let's see if I have. Churchill talks about this. Um, Yes. Um, Owen Glendower, that's the, the Scotsman, who was a remarkable man of considerable education, carried on a war, which was the constant background of English affairs till 1409 the king was also forced to fight continually against the Scots. After six years of this harassment, we are told that his natural magnanimity was worn out and that he yielded himself to the temper of his supporters and of his parliament in cruel deeds. It may well be so, says says Churchill. So but he just kind of
0: gave up and let it He just, just sort of
1: like was sort of henpecked by the cares and concerns of the crown to the point where his good nature turned him to be kind of like a fart. He was just like a grouch, and was like bah. And that is very much the Henry IV we see in the plays of Shakespeare. Is like this grumpy, grouchy man uh, who doesn't want to be he, who's king, but he's like this. This like this sucks. That's so that and and all these wars will do that to you. All right. So um, Henry Hotspur uh, uh, came from a family known as the Persys. Um They are going to be an important family with uh, in this story. So Henry Percy, known as Hotspur, was fighting the Scots. And um, uh, Henry IV had said, listen, I owe you guys uh, for getting me into the crown. I owe you for fighting the Scots. Uh, And um, there was apparently like an old debt that the family, the Percy family, had from the crown of like 60,000 pounds, which is a lot of money. And they're like, awesome. I'm glad you brought it up. Can you give us 60,000 pounds? And Henry said, I don't have 60,000 pounds let me go ask Parliament. Remember? Because he gave Parliament all the, the power bros. to, like, and, the, and he's like, hey, can we get 60,000 for pounds for the Percy family? They've been, like, top notch. They've been super, they've been bros this whole time. And Parliament's like, yeah, please allow six to eight weeks for processing and we'll get back to you. Didn't happen. Right. Not getting the money. The Percy family, not happy. Um, Henry Hotspur, uh, a man with a, with a temper, not happy. Um, Meanwhile, while this was going on, uh, Henry's... Uh, Hotspur was a Percy. Hotspur was a Percy. Uh, Hotspur's sister married Owen Glendower, the the Welsh guy who was fighting uh, Henry IV. Oh. You know, it just was like
0: it just happened. So war, a lot of passions. Going, a lot of passions. Like, there's a lot of passions in so war. You see Hen- an enemy, he's fighting That's hard. That's right. He's, he's,
1: he's glistening. Yeah.
0: He's, is he a Welshman? Do Welsh? Uh, he's glisten? Welsh.
1: He's Welsh. Henry Hotspur's the Percys aren't Welsh, but gl- Owen Glendower is Welsh.
0: Uh, I mean, he, I'm sure he glistened. I'm sure he but glistened. Glistened. Yeah.
1: And so. Hotspur's sister, I think it was, yeah, uh, Mary's own Glendower. Um, and so he, like. Did she have a cool nickname? I can't remember. Um, now he's related by marriage to a faction that is going against his king who just denied his family 60,000 pounds, which was owed to him. Oh, Henry's Hotspur a in little flip flop. Henry's a little ticked. Henry Hotspur's oh. a, little, a little ticked. Um, Henry Hotspur then decides that he is going to join the Welsh and fight against. Henry the Fourth, And Henry the Fourth is like, "Oh my goodness." Wasn't he fighting the Scots? He before? was fighting the
0: Scots. At this point, they Okay, so it wasn't like a full I'm fighting the Welsh. now I'm not fighting the Welsh.
1: Yeah. No, he he was fighting the Scots and then the Scots kind of were like, you know, went back to Scotland and, you know, the war is kind of waxed and waned. And then Owen uh, Glendower is like, "Hey man, uh, I hear your king's not giving you any cash. How about since you fight with us?" And Henry Hotspur is like, "That's a great idea." Now, you have to remember that the North of England is they, 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 for many periods of history, see themselves as their own people separate from the Southern English. Um, so you have the Scots, you have the Welsh, and then you've got, like, you know, the Southern English of London, and, and then you've got the, this, this place called Northumbria, which had a lot of Viking influence. Um, they really were not a separate culture, but they saw themselves very different. It's probably akin to, like, the Northerners and the Southerners in the U.S., We're one nation... But we've had troubles in the past. We have there may, There's maybe different cultures between the North and the South. This is true in England as well. It's still true in England to this day. So, still true here.
0: Flipping ganks.
1: So, yeah. <laughs> so you've got the Northumbria, <laughs> and you've got the Henry Hotspur, the Percy's, You've got Northumbria who are now like have reason to be upset with the monarchy in the South again. So they decide that they are going to fight Henry IV, and Henry the Fourth is like – Flippin' heck, being king is not
0: cool. Knock chill. Asked you for 60,000 yeah. pounds. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so Oh man. Can you um, imagine being a peasant yeah. roped into this whole thing that right. could have been so ugh. Yeah. Um I yeah. So um okay. Uh
1: where are we? So Henry the Fourth now has a rebellion he's got to put down. So he rides up north with his army to fight the Percy's, to fight Hotspur. Um, and he takes with him his 16-year-old son, Henry, um, Prince of Wales.
0: Wait, so this is the third Henry? Yes. So we had Henry the Fourth, Henry Hotspur. Yes, Henry, and the Henry Hotspur Prince and, and the Henry
1: Prince of Wales. We'll call him Hal because that's what he's called in Shakespeare. Okay. So Prince Hal come rides north. Let's talk a little bit about Prince Hal's background. So when his dad was kicked, when his dad was, was sent to France, uh, when uh, Richard II kicked him out, and when his uncle was... Uh, when his uncle died, and Richard II took his uncle's land, uh, Henry the, uh, Henry Prince Hal was under the care of Richard II as like a guardian. But it was it was Wait, uh, is, is Hal Hotspur's kid or, no, or Henry the Hal is kid? Henry the Fourth kid. Okay, yeah. So Hal is Henry the Fourth kid. Um, he's known. He will become known as Henry V, one of the greatest kings of all time. But Prince Hal is was a basically like when Richard II was still king, Prince Hal was like uh, a to, was, was uh, sort of in his um, protection, he was a hostage, oh. basically. Like, your dad doesn't like me and your dad's exiled, but I will raise your kid for you. Um, and so Prince Hal is like, he was with Henry uh, a- as a hostage, saw some crazy stuff. Um, but anyway, so now his dad's king. um and, um, uh,
0: he was with Richard as a, he was with Richard when Richard was king.
1: And then when okay. Richard was deposed and his dad became king, he became Prince of Wales and he's okay. Prince Hal. Um, and he was sort of traditionally Shakespeare, he he's known as having like a riotous youth, whether or not that's true or not, we can talk about it in a little bit, but he was sort of known as being like, he loved the drink. He loved drinking. He loved a good time. He wasn't a drunk. He wasn't vicious or anything, but he just loved the parties. He apparently was known for like leaving the castle and going to the pub and hanging with the bros, hanging with the peasants. And this is what Shakespeare depicts with him and Falstaff and and Pistol and all these great characters of the Henriad. Anyway, uh, Henry IV brings his son. He's like, it's about time you saw some war, kid. And so Henry, Prince Hal comes with his dad to go fight Henry Hotspur. uh, And they have this big battle called the Battle of Shrewsbury on July 21st. Twenty first, fourteen something. I can't remember what it was. Oh
0: man, I missed opportunity. Battle of I know. Henry Henry and Henry. Yes. So tri- the triple Henrys. Yeah. Yeah. So fourteen oh three. Battle of Shrewsbury. So the Battle of hmm. Fifteen. 1403.
1: Fourteen oh three. Fourteen oh three. Okay. So we got the Battle of Shrewsbury. This was the first time a battle uh, ever happened in England where Englishmen and Englishmen fought each other with their new technology known as the longbow. Uh, this was a technology that they didn't really like account for with their maneuvers. Um, the longbow was it could, like pierce armor it could shoot way farther way farther than normal arrows and this battle turned into just like this absolute slaughter like arrows filled the air and it was one of these battles where you realized we need to rethink the way we do war because of this new technology like the old way just meant that like too many important people were getting shot by arrows
0: it was it was it was a, apparently a frantic furious blood fest. Why did it take so many, like, so many centuries to figure out, hey, we could just make that bow
1: bigger? Uh, I don't know. I, I guess it just had to oh, do with... is
0: that not something you do on day I think two, it was
1: the reinforcement so. technique of the of the, of the the wood, or... Oh, okay. Uh, um, and that kind of thing. So and, it's not
0: just making the bow longer. It was... It's that, like it a different was, type of wood yeah. with a different type of treatment? Yeah. Okay. That, I'll, I'll give him a pass. Cool. Okay. So, Battle of Shrewsbury. Um, in this battle,
1: uh, at the end of it, uh there was rumors that both sides, Henry had died. Um, so Wh- people thought Henry IV was dead and people thought that Henry Hotspur was dead. Right. And so the way that they, because that they there's like all these dead bodies everywhere and, and these like standards were on the ground. So the Hotspur side said, hey, Henry Fourth, are you still alive? And he said, yep. Hey, Henry Hotspur, are you still alive? And there was silence. Mm. Henry Hotspur was dead. And uh, what had happened was while the war was going on, uh, while the battle was going on, Henry Hotspur was like, oh man, I friggin' love war. Um, this is awesome. And he lifted up the visor of his helmet just to like take in the scene and got shot in the face with an arrow Whoa. and died. Wait, say that again. I was looking up longbows. Oh, <laughs> Henry the, Henry Hotspur got shot in the face with an arrow. He, oh. was, he was like lifting up his visor and being like, man, I friggin' love war. And then uh, just like taking it all in and got an arrow right in, the, a too right, much in in right in the face. Yes. Took um, it all the way in. Yes. And so then he was dead. And Henry Fourth won. Prince Hal also took an arrow to the face. Oh. So Prince Hal got shot in the face with an arrow. He didn't die, yeah. but he like came back to his tent. he's like, dad, there's an <laughs> arrow in my face. And so-
0: Where was it? Was it, like, no, it was rub, like- right rub, in rub, his, rub It was in his cheek, apparently.
1: And so um, uh, they had this like magical apothecary. He was magic, but they had this apothecary who was like trying out these new techniques of like uh, of curing people. And so he, the, uh, the apothecary thought, all right, well, uh, he had a couple of things. Um, he used, apparently very famously used honey and alcohol to disinfect the wound. And he like cut the arrow shaft off and inserted some tool into Henry's face to like, pluck the arrow out of Henry's face and then put honey and alcohol on his wound, which was kind of, apparently, a pretty new technique, or this idea that, like, if you did this, the wound wouldn't fester, and it saved his life, and then Harry had this, uh, uh, Harry, uh, Prince Hal had this, like, awesome scar on his face, and he's like, I got shot in the face with an arrow at the Battle
0: of Shrewsbury, and everyone was like, that's hardcore. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> 16-year-old kid, right? Tell him, tell him this story, of course, in yeah. the pubs where he oh, was of frequent. Yeah. Yeah, 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 So, um,
1: so, Henry, the, so yeah, Prince Hal shot in the face. Henry Hotspur is dead. And Henry IV is like, all right, are you guys done? Can we, like, stop with the war? And then uh, the Northumbrians were like, fine, yes, we will. Hotspur's dead. The Earl of Northumbria kind of, like, was like, fine, whatever. I won't do any more fighting. I'll just kind of, like, go off. Um, um, with my hot English wife. Yeah, but he had one last kick at the can of, like, fighting Henry. Uh, where uh, So the Earl of Northumberland, he got the Archbishop of York. Remember, they're up in York. Uh, that's in the north. He got the Archbishop of York and a guy by the name of, of Thomas Mowbray. You no, know, the Archbishop of York. Uh, and Thomas Mowbray, who was the Earl of... I can't remember who he the Earl of. Anyway, they, go, they had a big old fight with Henry. Henry eventually beat them. And this time, the Earl of Northumberland was like, fine, I won't fight you anymore, Henry. Henry IV took and and executed the Archbishop of York and Thomas Mowbray, and people were super ticked. They're like, you can't just kill the Archbishop of York. This is bad. And so then Henry kind of got in trouble. He's like, oh, man, I, like he was in rebellion against me. Of course I had to kill him. They're like, yeah, he's ordained by God. You can't just, like, cut off an Archbishop's head. So I got Henry into trouble, and he kind of basically had to... Um, Uh, He just kind of had to quell everything, but people said, listen, this is going to be bad for you. You killed the Archbishop of York, and God's going to, uh, you know, take his revenge on you. And Henry's like, I don't know about that. Immediately gets leprosy. Oh
0: my Um, (laughs) (laughs) God. Really? (laughs) Oh yeah. (laughs) Well,
1: that's great. Everyone thought it was leprosy. I think modern historians look back on and realize it was some other kind of skin disease, but everyone thought it was leprosy. acne? Yeah, it got really bad acne or something. Um, so, but everyone was like, yeah, you killed the Archbishop of York. Of course you're getting leprosy. Oh man,
0: I would love if it was just like a
1: ringworm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But anyway, so Henry IV now was like sick and had leprosy and he thought it was because he killed the like God's man on earth and the cares of the crown are weighing heavy on him and his kid is acting up. Henry IV was like, check out my cool scar. And I'm going to be king one day. And he's like this fiery, like right. gregarious kid that just wants to... Is that Henry IV? Fourth, this fourth? is Henry V. Fifth. Fifth, so Henry IV's kid is like acting up and, and wants, you know, he's like, dad, give me, let me take on the family business. You tell, you say all the time that the crown is like heavy and you don't want to wear it. Like, let me do some stuff. And his dad was like, no, no, it's my crown. Um, unfortunately, as the years went on, Henry the Fourth kind of got really like possessive and almost like conspiratorial and a little bit um, like, you know, they're out to get me. The nurses are stealing from me, like that kind of guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and he kind of butted heads with his with Henry V and Henry V was like, I'm going to be king one day. You can't stop it. Why don't you just let me do it now? And Henry IV was like, no, it's my crown. And it kind of got into that towards Henry the, the end of Henry IV's life. Wasn't great. Um, and, and again, he was just worn out. He basically let parliament govern Henry V was Prince Hal was not happy with that. He's like, you can't let parliament do everything. We're free and Kings. Like we should, or, you know, we should rule, we should have authority. And, uh, Henry the fourth just sort of like kind of just was cr- not crushed, but he was definitely, um, had the, had the, like the joy of life drained from him because of the cares of the crown. And then he eventually dies. um, uh, he dies. Oh, that's so depressing. I know. He, he's, he's not an old man, but he dies. He had leprosy and he dies, and Henry V becomes king. But um, this is how Churchill ends the section on Henry IV when he's dead. This is sort of the moral that Churchill says about, about uh, Henry IV. Uh, he died on March 20th, 1413. Thus, the life and reign of King Henry IV exhibit to us. Another instance of the vanities of ambition and the harsh guerd- uh, guerdin which rewards its success. It's where I can pronounce He had had wrongs to avenge and a cause to champion, getting his lands back. He had hardly dared at first aim at the crown, but he had played the final stake to gain it. He had found it less pleasing when possessed. Not only physically, but morally, he sank under its weight. His years of triumph were his years of care and sorrow but none can say he had not reason and justice behind his actions or that he was not accepted by the country at large. Upon his death, a new personality built upon a grand historic scale, long hungry for power, ascended without dispute to the throne not only of England, but very soon of almost all Western Christendom. Okay. So that's the end of Henry Fourth and the rise of Henry V. So, Henry V, he becomes king. Um... And like I said, Shakespeare said that he was like, a lot of the Henriads, so Henry IV and Henry V is the story of Prince Hal going from like riotous youth to serious man. And there's probably some truth to that in the life of Henry V. But Henry V was always a pretty uh, serious and kind of like even-handed guy. Uh, at this time, the Lombards were big in England. This was a, a Christian heresy they were basically like communists. Like that, that's what they wanted. They wanted equal distribution of all property. That was part of their, their heresy. Um, and, um, and so there was a lot of persecution of the Lombards. Henry IV did it. Uh, he, and um, there was once when young Prince Hal, before he was king, was witness and basically like the, the judge over this Lombard who was going to be burned at the stake. And he's like, hey, man, like you should recant. You're going to be burned alive you should just recant and, like, go back to your home and, like, do your thing. Just, like, don't, just just recant. And the Lombard's like, no, never. And Henry's like, okay, I'm going to come back later. I'm going to let you think about it. I'm going to come back later. Came back a couple days later. He's like, listen, are you going to recant? And the Lombard's like, I'd rather burn. And so Henry's like, fine. And the Lombard burned to death. Um, now, whether or not you think that's a story that shines well in Henry V, it does at least show that he, like, he was... He tried to give him an no. out. Right. He was at least even handy He's like, it doesn't have to go this way, and the Lombard was like, you know, like you know, equal property and or whatever, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> and was burned to death. Um, when Henry IV takes over uh, the realm, um, he has this sort of feeling of like, listen, we had this big fight with Richard and my dad, we had the fight with Henry Hotspur, guys, that was bad, that sucked what we should do instead is we should go fight other people. We should take all that hot energy that we have that we've wanting to kill each other and we should go kill someone else.
0: France.
1: We should France? Uh, yes, we should we should uh, uh he, yes, he's his, his his idea was we should go attack France. Hey. And when that's done, we should go on crusade boys. Ooh. We we got it and so um, and so there was this sort of mood shift when Henry the fourth, sorry, when Henry V became King, there was kind of a shift in England where they're like, all right, this guy is clearly able. He's got a wicked, awesome scar from getting shot in the face. <laughs> um, uh, uh, he is gregarious. He is even keeled. He's tall. He's handsome. He's everything a King should be. Let's give him a chance. Let's put aside our petty differences. And let's not, let's not fight each other. Um, this is what Churchill says about this time. Um, In the surging realm, with its ailing king, bitter factions, and deep social and moral unrest, all men had for some time looked to him, Henry V, and succeeding generations have seldom doubted that according to the standards of his day, he was all that a king should be. His face, we are told, was oval, with a long straight nose, ruddy complexion, dark smooth hair, and bright eyes, mild as a dove when unprovoked, but lion-like in wrath. His frame was slender yet well-knit, strong, and active. His disposition was orthodox, chivalrous, and just. He came to the throne at a moment when England was wearied of feuds and brawls and yearned for unity and fame. He led the nation away from the internal discord to foreign conquest. Uh, And he had the dream and perhaps the prospect of leading all Western Europe into the high championship of a crusade. Council and parliament alike showed themselves suddenly bent on war with France. As was even then usual in England, they wrapped up in phrases of the opposite import. So, like, they, don't, they don't say we should fight France. Um, the lords knew well, they said, um, that the king will attempt nothing that is not to the glory of God and will eschew the shedding of Christian blood. If he goes to war, the cause will be the renewal of his rights, not his own willfulness. Bishop Beaufort opened the session of 1414 with a sermon upon, Strive for the truth unto death, and the exhortation, While we have time, let us do good to all men. This was understood to mean the speedy invasion of France. (laughs) So, oh man, I love Churchill. So, um, everything coalesced on invading France. Um, so meanwhile in France, France was going through some hard times. Do they have a reason
0: for invading France?
1: Um, Is there, what well,
0: you said a restoration of rights. Yes, so um, there was,
1: uh, um, if you're, you'll have to go back and listen to the old Plantagenets, but for a long time, England owned a lot of the northern realm of France, of Brittany, um, and uh, uh, of what we would know as Normandy, um, and that was their, their realm. It was lost by uh, King, uh, King John's soft sword, uh, he lost it all. Or Lackland? Yeah, if, Lackland, that I that's right. Um, and so there was always this claim like, listen, we got to go back and get some of the continent. That's ours, boys. Uh, and so we're going to go back and get it. Um, there was even like a really, really tenuous claim that Henry had on the actual crown of France. Really tenuous. Um, uh, and he's like, but I'm going to go become king of France. So they invade France, they mobilize, they get everything going. Let's talk a little bit about what's happening in France at this time. France had a king, Charles the Sixth. Charles the Sixth was known as Charles the Mad or Charles the Crazy or Crazy King Charles.
0: <laughs> because all he those, was- All those names seem to tender in yeah, a theme. Yes. I'm, I'm picking up on a trend. <laughs> tr-
1: tr- something happened where Charles the Sixth had a mental break. Where one day, and it was actually quite crazy. One day he was riding out with his, with his people, with his auntie uh, in France and he- something snapped and he just took out his sword and he just went crazy and started killing all his friends in madness. And he like killed five of them before they basically like stopped him. And, and something, they don't know what it was. They, he just went mad. Um, there was times where they just locked him in his castle and, uh, he would escape. And so they actually walled him in the castle. They actually like put bricks over the door and every once in a while, like chambermaids would go and check on him And when the chambermaids found him, he was like naked and covered in his own feces in the royal hall. Like clearly he had had some kind of mental breakdown. Oh, he's just totally bananas. And they had no idea what happened to him. So Um, he's in charge. He's in charge of France. Now, every (laughs) once in a while, he would kind of pull it together and he'd show up and he'd be like, hey guys, what's (laughs) up? And they'd be like, you look well. Um, And then he would rule for a little bit and then he would have these episodes and they'd have to wall him back in the castle again. and there was a period of time where um, he thought he was a window and he didn't want anybody to come near to him because he thought he was going to shatter. Okay. Um, and so they're like, okay, you can stay inside the castle. Um, and so he's the king of France. Well, what do you think ha- is happening to the kingdom while uh, Charles VI is walled up in his own castle? Chaos? Yeah. Sure. Not great. So there are two strong factions that are vying for power. You have the House of Orleans and the House of Burgundy. We don't need to get too much into it. Uh, but the House of Burgundy was the weaker house, and they were the one that kind of had ties with England.
0: Uh, of, of wine fame? Uh, of wine
1: fame, that's right. Um, and so they had ties with England, and and they were the weaker of the house. The House of Orléans was the bigger, was the stronger of the house. Um, and they did not like each other. They hated each other. Um, uh, there was, like, this famous scene where they tried to have a peace treaty, and they got together on a bridge, and they almost signed the peace treaty, and one guy was like, I just can't do it and just like killed somebody you know not great they did not like each other um henry v came to the to the duke of burgundy and said hey listen how about i invade france and help you out in this whole dispute and burgundy's like cool yeah awesome uh what do you want in return he's like you recognize me as king of france and burgundy's like yeah okay that's fine we'll do that fine you're king of france and henry's like yes so Henry invades France um, and immediately has immediate success. He goes and he invades and takes over the city of Honfleur, which used to be English or however you want to call it back in the day, uh, you know, 100 years ago. They take Honfleur. This is the battle where we get the famous once more into the breach, dear friends. Um, And he takes Honfleur and it's this glorious victory. And everyone's like, holy crap. Henry V is amazing. He's way better than crazy Charles VI. Maybe he should be king of France. Oh, like the people in Honfleur? Uh, yeah, because they also had ties to England, right? Because they right. were English, or they were part of the English crown for a so long time. So they're like, sweet, at least he's not thinking he's a window. That's right. He at least he doesn't think he's a window. And then, so Henry V took over Enfleur, and then the Dauphin, which is the prince of France, Charles VI's kid... Known as, who's going to be known as Charles the Seventh? So that he'll we'll just call him the Dauphin. The Dauphin got his army together to go stop Henry. You can't take over Onfleur. You can't go take over stuff. The Dauphin and gets somebody's got to do something about this. Somebody's right? got to do something about this. So the uh, so he goes and he takes his army and he goes up to stop Henry. Henry writes the Dauphin a letter and he's like, "Listen, we could fight, and you could lose in battle, <laughs> or." How about we settle this man-to-man and we have a fight to the death? And the Dauphin gets this letter and is like, no, nah, I'm not going to do that. Sounds, <laughs> that. sounds terrible. I'm going to fight to the death. Henry's awesome. Right. But that's so cool. That is um, really cool. So he insists, insists the Dauphin that they should have single combat to end the war. And the Dauphin says no. And word gets out that the Dauphin said no and Henry wanted to do
0: this and all the And ladies, he's risking all the... That's right. The, I mean, he's risking all his men. All right. if, all I was, the, if I was, like, one of the French dudes, it would be like, come on, man, like... I know. You can solve it well on your own. I don't have to involve me. So right. all the ladies
1: of the realm are like, Henry V is kind of awesome. <laughs> and the Dauphin is kind of like a wuss. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so... But um, the Dauphin <laughs> does have the bigger army. All the French ladies, too? like Zutale. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, and But the Dauphin does have superiority of army. He does have... Um, uh, uh, he is... he. Probably It was a good move because he the the Dauphin was right. going to win. He had, like, yeah, uh, way superior numbers. Henry has this, like, English channel that he's got to get supplies, right? You know, he's cut off from his home base. You know, he, he's in a weaker position. Um, they take the, uh There is an old uh, castle of Calais that Henry really, really wants to get back. And so he's like, listen, I'm going to take— like, a, like 4,000 knights and a bunch of archers, and we're going to march on Calais, and he sends the rest of his army back to, like, another place uh, by boat. All right, no, I think he sends the army by boat to sort of camp outside Calais, and he's going to march on Calais from the land to be able to take it. And so he sends the bulk of his army by boat to Calais, and he is going to march through the north of France to get to Calais with, a th- with like, 4,000 knights and a bunch of archers. He's and he's also basically like goading the Dauphin into, into a battle because he's just like thinned his forces and he's going to walk through France. Um, the Dauphin sends him a letter and says, I'm going to kill you. Um, and, uh, Henry <laughs> <laughs> and Henry says, Listen, I'm just going to Calais. Leave me alone. I'm just going to
0: take my I'm castle. Just taking one of your cities. It's I'm not I'm Just a big taking deal. Calais. It it's was not our a big deal. It
1: was always been ours. Just like back off. And And, um, and the Dauphin was sort of, was following him with his army. There was really bad rain. A bunch of bridges were washed out. Henry really had to, like, go into deeper France in order to get to Calais. And he got to this point where he was so deep into France that he gets cut off from the rest of his army by the Dauphin. He's trapped. The Dauphin has outflanked him. Um, the Dauphin has massive 20,000 troop armies between him and Calais and the rest of his troops. Henry screwed. Um, and um, so um, everyone's kind of uh, uh, that night. Oh, the, the so the um, the Dauphin's on one side, and the legend has it that that night the Dauphin and his troops had a raucous party where they all got super drunk, and they uh, decided how they were going to divvy up the spoils mm. of the of the coming day.
0: That's never a herald yeah. of bad things. Right. And
1: Henry V, his army were very somber and very quiet and didn't light any fires and sort of sat and were um, and and just sort of like prayed to God. Um, there's there's a great scene of this in the play Henry V. The day of the uh, the day dawns where the battle's going to take place and it is actually a holiday. It was St. Crispin's Day in England, and so there's a lot of people who are going to be working that day. And one of Henry V's um, a dude said, "Oh man, I wish all of those men who weren't working in England were here fighting with us. Then we would stand a chance." And Henry says this. This is um the famous speech uh, that Henry gives before what is going to be known this from Shakespeare as or the from, Battle of Agincourt. Did he actually give this speech or was it this this just Shakespeare's Shakespeare. speech? Okay. Um so this is so this is like, you know, they're going to die. And Henry stands up and he gives his this famous speech.
0: The, According to Shakespeare, According or did he actually give this? He
1: did, well, he apparently gave a rousing speech, and Shakespeare writes out what his speech was. Like Shakespeare gives his version of the speech. Okay. There is a speech we, that's kind of lost to history that has elements of it, and so this was a speech. Okay. Good morning. In less than an hour, aircrafts from here will join others from around the world, and you will be launching the largest aerial battle in the history of mankind. Mankind. That word should have new meaning for us all today. We can't be consumed by our petty differences anymore. We will be united in our common interests. Perhaps it's fate that today is the 4th of July, and you will once again be fighting for our freedom, not from tyranny, oppression, or persecution, but from annihilation. We're fighting for our right to live, to exist. And should we win today, the 4th of July will no longer be known as an American holiday. But as the day when the world <laughs> declared with one voice, we will not go quietly into the night. We will not vanish without a fight. We're going to live on. We're going to survive. Today, we celebrate our Independence Day.
0: I don't, I don't think that's the speech. What I mean, it was, it was similar. Roughly. It was roughly like yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> Well, welcome to Earth. <laughs> yes. Okay, no. That was a
1: speech from, uh, that was um, President Whitmore. Was it was Whitmore, I can't remember. President's speech in Independence Day, Independence another great speech. Yeah, sure. No. Um,
0: <laughs> equally great speech. Equally
1: great speech. Um, so I'm actually, since we're at the hour mark, we're going to, this is where we're going to end. We're going to end the speech. eve of the battle. No, we're going to end at the eve of the battle of Agincourt. We'll start the next one with this speech. You're not going to give the speech? No, we'll give the speech at the beginning of the next one. Bro. But So so right. here's where Henry I'm is. Crushed. So Henry is cut off from the rest of his army. He's gone deep into France. The Domfet out like has basically, I think, four or five to one odds against uh, Henry's troops. And um, and uh, um, even if Henry wins um, the battle, like he's still on the other side of the army. Like he's he this this is rough. He's he, this is this is sort of bad. It's um, a bad spot. Everybody thought that they were going to die, um, and. Um, and Henry, yes, we'll, we'll start off the podcast with the speech he gives to uh, his men and we will talk about the greatest victory uh, that the English, probably one of the greatest military victories that the English have ever had at the Battle of Agincourt. So right. um, we, you're probably thinking, well, I thought the War of the Roses was like this cr- terrible bloody affair, but I mean, we are at the height, this is probably uh, the apex of, of British chivalry and the, this is probably the highest level of the Plantagenet dynasty is Henry V and what happens after this battle. Um, and then so, yeah, so that is we will move on next week. We will talk our next time. We'll talk about the Battle of Agincourt and, and uh, how Henry V becomes um,
0: um, the heir to the kingdom of France. Oh, man, I'm excited. I love this series. Well, thank you, Graham. I can't wait to hear the speech. And uh, so this has been Classical Stuff You Should Know. You can find us at classicalstuff.net. You can email us at theguys at classicalstuff.net and tweet at us at CLSSCALstuff. And you can also patronize us. If you like what you hear, if you want to, you can throw us a couple bucks. If you want to pay 10 or more, you get all kinds of in-between episodes, which are getting longer and longer. Like we we sometimes go half an hour and sometimes... Well, we have our AMAs that are hour and a half, right? Yeah, we have AMAs. You can also hear that are an hour and a half. And if you want to hear in-between episodes, sometimes we get into discussions that we have either continue into the in-between episodes or have only in the in-between episodes. And if you want access to those, it's just 10 bucks a month. And yeah, so thank you for, to our Patreon supporters and thank you for listening, supporter or not. We're just happy to have you here. All right, and that's it for us. We'll see you next time. This is Classical Stuff, out. Ciao. Bye.